Amen. If you can't beat them, join them, right? Hey, guys, how's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing good? Man, what a crowd. Good to see you here this morning. So excited that this is our last Sunday in this building. Amen? Amen. So excited. Hey, I, I do want to say this. Um, I, as excited as we are about moving in the new building, uh, it is really a bit of a bittersweet. I've had about 14 people this morning ask me if I'm going to cry this morning, and I said, no. Okay? Absolutely not. Will I not cry? I will not cry. But I do want to say I am very thankful for what God has allowed us to, uh, to be in this uh, old warehouse. God brought us into this, into this building. He provided it for us. He, uh, he helped us do ministry here. Uh, and and he, he has changed so many lives in this building. We, we can't even tell all the stories. And so I just want to this morning thank Jesus for this building before we leave here, could we just thank Jesus one more time? Amen. He gave us an old warehouse to do ministry, and now he's given us a future and permanent home to move into. And uh, as we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, we expect greater things yet to come. Amen? And so I'm excited. I tell you, Jesus is wonderful. Uh, I, I know our staff are excited. It's just going to be really a great time. I do want to say, before we dive into God's Word here this morning, uh, I, I do want to offer a bit of instruction, okay? Because we are moving into a new place, and a lot of you guys haven't even been over there. You don't even, you've never seen it, or you don't know where to park. Uh, there, there's a couple of areas that we're a little bit concerned about being a, a place of confusion, and so we want to just offer some, some instruction. We have some pictures to show you this morning. The first area of confusion would be uh, the parking. You know, where do you come into? Where do you drive? Where do you park? We actually have parking all the way around the building now instead of just out front. And so uh, there's going to be areas that you would need to park in to, to best suit you coming in. And so we want to sort of show you some of this. And then the other thing is children's check-in. You're not going to know where to go, where to take your children. Unless you serve in children's ministry, you, you may not have seen that. I know a lot of our volunteers have walked through and, and they're ready for Sunday morning, but you may not be. So we want to show some pictures concerning that as well. So the first picture that we have here is a picture. It's just sort of an overview. This is not even all of the property, but it shows the main roads that are sort of wrapping around our facility. One being North Valdosta Road headed toward exit 22. And uh, you'll notice down here in the bottom left corner, there is a driveway. This is our, our main driveway coming into the building. So some of you may be coming from from town, and that'll be the place we want to turn into. Or you may want to go right on up to Camelot Crossing and turn right in there because of where you may need to park. Or you may need to want to come in from Smoking Pig, the Hayhire area or somewhere like that. Uh, you can bring Kingsway right into Camelot Crossing right in the middle top portion of this picture. And so that'll just be some places that you're going to be driving through. There's going to be parking attendants everywhere to help you uh, get to where you need to be. But I want to zoom in on a little area in the front right here for just a moment because you see this triangle place. That is our, our front uh, lobby parking. And one of the things I'd like to say this morning is we'd like to reserve that for first-time guests. Uh, where we, we know this uh, about people who visit with us for the first time. They typically go to the front door. They, that's where they, they're going to show up. And so we want to leave these places available for them. You'll notice there's another building in front of the, the church here. That's Dr. Peterman's office. And all of this is shared parking around his building. So we're asking our leadership and our volunteers if they wouldn't mind 
parking in this doctor's office parking lot. They've given us full permission. It's part of our contract with them when we sold them the property. And then also Dr. Thacker, which is not on the, this, this picture, but right across the road there, Camelot Road, uh, is Dr. Thacker's office, and she has agreed to allow us to park there as well. So volunteers, leaders, anybody who's, who's willing, uh, those will be a little bit further a walk, but it's, it's, it's making way for people that are going to show up. Anybody who's, who's capable of that. I walked to Marco's yesterday. It's not a far walk across the street to Dr. Thacker's. So uh, we have that. We also have another place that we want to show you, and it's right here to the left of the pond here. The pond is blueing up a little bit, but uh, that's a gravel parking lot for future uh, paving that we're going to be doing there. Uh, and this, this is probably best suited for anybody who does not have children. So if you're single, if you're, if you're uh, a young married couple, if you're an empty nester, this would be a great place for you to park and come in the side entrance. Again, freeing up parking for other areas that need to come in specific places in the building. And then finally, we want to show you the family parking, which is the majority of the parking, which will be in the back, uh, and then also at the top there, that, that asphalted area, all that sort of family parking. And the reason that area is, is in the back is because right here in the back of the building where you see that little curve is a covered, uh, uh, covered walkthrough, and that takes you right into the building where the children's check-in is. So we want to reserve that for family parking. So if you're a family and you have children, you're going to need to check it in. Make your way to the back of the building. That's going to help you get to where you need to be soon. And so here's the four doors that you would walk in from the family parking lot. And this would be coming in from the back. And just to your right as you walk in the building would be the children's check-in. That's our area that's being fixed up. It's not complete yet, but it's almost. Uh, we'll have uh, all kinds of uh, ways you can check in and, and get your children checked into the children's ministry. And then what you'll do is go straight through these doors with your children to our children's area. Children that are going upstairs, that's... Uh, that's kindergarten through fifth grade. They'll go upstairs that are right through those doors, and they'll be uh, they'll be shuttled upstairs uh, to the bigger area that is going to be the area for them on Sunday morning. And then you'll loop around the entire facility, and there's going to be a lot of volunteers helping you get to where you need to be. But we got one final picture where you'll be coming through these double doors. That'll be your exit out of the children's area, and that area will be secure for children. Again, our, our, our older children will be upstairs, and they'll ex actually exit uh, down these steps at the end of the day. So it, it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be a very transitional time for us. We just wanted to offer that to you as a bit of instruction. Um, we do want to ask you, too, because this is a time of transition, please be patient with us, okay? We've been training uh, a lot of volunteers. In fact, uh, yesterday I, I was there. And I pulled up there in the morning, and, and a lot of our different ministries were having training times. And there must have been 300 people that were there being trained. And I just want to say, as we prepare to, to dive into God's Word this morning, could we just thank all those who volunteer in our church? I tell you, Crosspoint would not be Crosspoint without all the volunteers that help us serve in so many different ways. And so just be patient with us as we... As we roll out our first service in that building, on, on, uh, not our first service, but our first Sunday on Easter Sunday, we, uh, we've got a lot of things that we're just in the unknown about, and, and we just feel like we're going to learn and we're going to tweak, and, and uh, we, just, we just need you to be patient with us as we figure things out. Things will be a little bit different. I will say this, this may be a disappointment to some, but to some mothers, I think it's already a, a bit of a thank you, but um, we will not be serving donuts on Easter Sunday, so... That's just one of the things we're not going to be doing. 
Uh, and so just want to let you know that if you, if you need to feed your children, you better do it on the way in or you might be really hungry before we get out. So just to let you know that, I didn't want to spring that on you. You know, you come in with open arms and want those donuts. We, we won't have them on Easter Sunday. So greater things to come. We're not there for the donuts. We're there for Jesus, right? Amen. And so it's going to be an incredible time for us as a church. Don't forget Good Friday service. 6 p.m., that's going to be an incredible time together as a faith family. That's probably not going to be with a lot of the visitors and guests that are going to come in on Sunday, but we want everyone that will to come. It's going to be a wonderful time. It's going to be a very reverent time. We're going to celebrate Jesus, and we're going to celebrate the crucifixion story in preparation for the resurrection story on Sunday morning. It's going to be wonderful, and so I hope that you will be there. I want to pray for us, and we're going to dive into God's Word together. It's going to be a A great message, I think, for us all to hear today. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, God, for the many blessings that we have experienced here in this building. God, you provided, excuse me, this place eight years ago for us to move into. As a growing church, God, we needed more space, and God, you gave us this this place, this storefront to, to do ministry in. And God, we have seen you just do incredible things in the lives of so many. God, we recognize that, God, you have brought about such life transformation. You've given people hope. People have raised their children in this building, Father, uh, and, and people's lives have been changed forever by your presence in this place. But God, we also recognize you're giving us a new place, a permanent place. And so, Father, we're very thankful for that. We're thankful, God, that you are going to uh, just do greater things even in that place. And God, we, we just celebrate in advance. We thank you in advance for the great work that you're going to do there. God, help us to, to understand and to know, God, uh, exactly everything that you would have us to do. Thank you for all the many people that serve in this church. And God, just meet the needs that we have here uh, in, in the way of just volunteering. God, we thank you for this message today. We thank you, God, for your word that teaches us so much God, it teaches us so much about how to live our life and how to know you more. And God, how to bring glory to your name. And and God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what it's going to teach us today. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. And the question is this. As a Christian a follower of Christ, a disciple, whatever it is that you would identify yourself as, but as, a, as, a, as an authentic Christian who's living out your life as a Christian, what is it that you could do that would bring the greatest joy to Jesus? What is it that you could do as a believer in Christ Jesus that would bring the greatest joy to your Savior. You know, I recognize that there are probably a lot of different ways we could answer that. There's, there's probably not just one answer to that question. There's many ways that we can bring joy to Jesus. I, I can imagine that there's a lot of things that we could do as followers of Christ Jesus that would have Jesus saying to us one day, well done, good and faithful servant. But I think about that question a lot I, because I try to live my life in a way that I'm pleasing God. I don't want to live my life in such a way that I bring displeasure to God. I want to please my Savior. I want to live for Him. I want to do right by Him. I want to bring Him joy. I want Him to be 
uh, proud of me as a, as a follower of Christ. I just want to live for him. And so I think about that question quite often. I think about the many different ways that we could bring joy to Jesus. And I think of probably one of the greatest is by rejecting sin and living a life in such of a pursuit of his righteousness and, and holiness. Jesus himself once said to his disciples, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so the, the, the truth is there that we should pursue holiness, that we should pursue Jesus. And in doing that, we bring pleasure to him, no doubt. There's so many different ways we can proclaim his name. I love the fact that you walk in here every Sunday and you see the name of our Savior right here behind me every Sunday. We light it up just so in case you can't see it from the back row. But, uh, but we have the name of Jesus here. This is just one of the ways that we can proclaim the name of Jesus. We want people that walk into these doors to know what we think is most important here. And it's Jesus. It's not us. It's not everything that we do here. It's Jesus. And so we want to proclaim his name. We want to bring glory to him as we live out our life. Whether we, 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 we work or we play or we eat or we drink or whatever we do. We want to do it all for the glory of God. And so bringing glory to his name is one of those ways in which we can bring joy to our Savior. But there's another way that I want to point out. It's a way that we, I think that another thing that we should always be reminded of that, that brings joy or pleasure to our Savior, and that is by doing the irresistible works that exist in our hearts as believers in Christ Jesus to do for the Lord. One of the things that we should be reminded of is the reality that Jesus, just before he ascended into heaven, just before he left his disciples to continue his work, he instructed them by saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so he gave us this sort of great commission. This is the very last words that Jesus would give to his disciples before ascending into heaven. And so we know that one of the ways that we can bring joy to our Savior is by making disciples. It's pretty clear. In fact, Peter in Acts 2, what we see is that Peter begins to preach almost immediately after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And we see as we read that account in Acts 2 that, that as Peter was preaching, it says in the Scriptures that 3,000 people came to know Jesus that day. And so what an amazing opportunity Peter had to preach the gospel and to tell people about Jesus and to make disciples on that day, that which Jesus had prepared for him. You know, in, in, in today's Christianity, though, I think sometimes we don't see the Great Commission for what it is. Oftentimes, as believers in Christ Jesus, we sort of misunderstand what the Great Commission is all about. And, and you know, really, a lot of times, the only time we share, might share our faith is if the preacher preaches on the subject of sharing his faith or we... We maybe have a class on evangelism, and, and in that class, we're sort of prompted to go out and share our faith, or, or, or maybe we, you know, we walk through a series or organize a visitation night or whatever it is. It, when, when, it, when we're sort of reminded of it, maybe we're more faithful than other times, rather than just merely embracing the calling that is placed on our life as believers to continually be sharing the gospel with, uh, in our lives, sharing the gospel with others that others may know him. This morning we're going to be we're going to be diving into John chapter 1. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. John chapter 1 verse 35 through 42. And the message is titled irresistible works. Irresistible works. You know, I I would imagine that all of us in this room 
we know as a believer in Christ Jesus, a person who has been saved, that he or she always knows that we take on the characteristics of Christ when we are born again, when we are saved, when we are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We understand that we take on the characteristics of Christ, that we are no longer who we used to be, but rather we are something new. We are a new creation. Jesus Christ is doing something in our heart. The Holy Spirit is continually sanctifying us. And so, therefore, we become a new creation. And so, we are different. We just take on a different appearance. We begin to take on a Christ-likeness as we get saved and we begin to live for Jesus. And so, I think it's important that we understand that. Paul once said this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we know that we begin to take on these characteristics of Christ. But what Scripture also teaches us is that as believers, there exists within us now, as those who now have Christ within us, this desire to do what I call irresistible works. In other words, because of what Christ has done within us, we are driven now to do things that we might not ordinarily do. We might be driven to, to go out and do this or do that for Christ. And, and one of those things, I believe, as a believer, is to go out and to make disciples. It should be within us, as believers in Christ Jesus, this tremendous irresistible desire to go out and do it. Not because necessarily he's just commanded us, but the fact that he has accomplished so much in our life, our desire now is to go and do these things. And so this morning, I want to talk about these irresistible works, primarily talking about sharing our faith and, and, and making disciples, because I believe the passage that we're going to look at today, it supports this idea in a huge way. It points to this, this reality that we are going to take on these sorts of things as believers in Christ Jesus. And so our, our passage today is First John, uh, not First John, excuse me, John 1, 35 through 42. And, and so I want to read here this morning to dive into this text. Now this text, it begins with John the Baptist. He's standing there with two of his students. As you know, John the Baptist was in the wilderness and he was baptizing people and he was speaking and proclaiming the, the coming of the Messiah. And so that was sort of his calling in life. And so he'd been doing this for a while, and he had several people that were, that were students or disciples of his. And so the story begins with John the Baptist standing there, and, and he is teaching his disciples, and suddenly Jesus comes walking by. And so here's where our story picks up this morning. In verse 35, it says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and he stayed with him, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. 
Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now let me just stop right there. He brought him to Jesus. You know, one of the things that this story reminds me of is, is just growing up as a kid and, and even as a young adult with, with one of the guys in this world that I would have considered my best friend back then. His name was Andy Cashwell. And uh, as children, we were just sort of growing up in life. And, and uh, at age nine, Andy Cashwell got saved. He, he, he became a believer. He became a follower of Christ Jesus. And, and he began to live his life as that. And so as, as young kids, you know, I was interested in playing and doing all these things. And whenever we were together and doing those things, he would often tell me about Jesus and what Jesus was doing in his life. And he would often share with me about his relationship with his faith family. And, and he was going to church and, and how it was just transformative for him, even as a nine-year-old boy. And we, we continued to grow up and I still wasn't saved. I, I would listen to what he said and I just sort of brushed it off because it didn't make a lot of sense to me. But Andy, there was no doubt that Andy was one of these true followers of Christ Jesus. He just, he loved the Lord. He loved his faith family. He was just living for the Lord, even at a young age. And by the time we got to 18, I realized that, that Andy has sort of, he, he was at a place where he really just had a burden for me to know Jesus. I, I recognized that more often than not, he would share Jesus with me uh, very intentionally. He would just constantly telling me of the hope that he had and had found in Jesus and the hope that I could have as a young man. And so uh, eventually, by the age of 21, I gave my life to Christ Jesus. Jesus had been drawing me near. He'd been wooing me with this Holy Spirit. I mean, God was definitely working in my life, but I finally surrendered to what Christ was doing in my life, and I gave my life to the Lord, and I was saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And so that was a very transformative time. Uh, this Saturday, as I was just sort of reviewing and getting ready for the message this morning, I, I, I found myself thinking of him, and I literally sent him a text, and I said, Andy, I want to thank you for being persistent in, in, in our life by sharing Jesus with me. I mean, since, you were not, since we were nine years old, you've been sharing Jesus with me, and, and then finally getting to a place where I gave my life to Christ, and he texted back, and he says, man, God's been drawing you near ever since you were born. And I just thought, man, what an encouraging thing to have someone like Andy in my life who, who, would, who would just continually share the gospel and share Jesus with me that I may know Him as my personal Lord and Savior. You know, I, I look at this and I, I see, the reason I see this story as being just so profound to me and the fact that, that it's so similar to my story and, and, and uh, living out my life with a, a good friend who knew Jesus is because of what we see in verse 41. In verse 41, it says this, Andrew first found his own brother Simon and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. You know, I think about this story and I've told you mine. But I can only imagine that most all of us in this room have a story like that. Something similar to that. Where you had an Andrew in your life who came to you and told you that he had met the Messiah, that he knew the Messiah, that he knew Christ, he knew, 
He knew the Lord and Savior, and he wanted you to know him as well. Most of us in this room as believers in Christ Jesus have probably got someone whom we went to and we brought them to Jesus and we said, this is the one whom you're going to find hope for your life. Most of us in this room as disciples of Christ have that individual who poured into us that we would also know Jesus. And so I imagine that this story sort of resonates with you as well. As a true believer in Christ Jesus, we can't help but be driven to share our faith because Jesus means that much to us. But the reality is often we don't. The reality is often we live out our life as though it's some sort of private thing that exists among us and oftentimes we fail to share our faith like we really should. Today I want us to look into this passage because I believe it's teaching us several things about uh, about characteristics of an authentic Christian driven to irresistible works. Uh, it's a message that would remind us that, that there's a calling placed on our life as believers to not only live out our life as an authentic believer in Christ Jesus, but also to be intentional about bringing people to Jesus. We've been talking about that through this, this series as we even looked at four men who brought a paralytic, their friend, to see Jesus, and they couldn't get to Jesus, so they went up on the house, they tore the roof apart, they dropped him down. I don't know what they did with the owner later, but you know it had to have been a mess. They dropped this guy down, and he found Jesus. And so we've been talking about that, but I want us to really dig into this this morning because I think it's important that we understand this, especially as we enter into a time of the year like Easter. So let's look at this. The first characteristic that we see of someone who is really driven to irresistible works is one, a clear testimony of salvation. A clear testimony of salvation. The, the reality is we'll probably never share Jesus with somebody else if we don't know Jesus. And, and, and the reality is we, we, we probably can't share the story of Jesus if we don't know Jesus. And so the, it sort of begins with us knowing Jesus as well. If we're ever going to be effective as soul winners or people that go out and make disciples as we have been commanded, then it's, it's critical that we know Jesus ourselves. And one of the things that I love about this story as we dive into this is that we begin to see that, that, that Andrew experienced this for himself. Andrew couldn't share Jesus with Peter till he met Jesus himself. And so we see this in the story, and it says in verse 41, it says that he, meaning Andrew, he first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah. And so the fact that he used this word Messiah, which means Christ, indicates to us that Andrew now had a very clear understanding of who Jesus was. Do you remember how the story begins? The story begins with Jesus walking by, and there's John the Baptist, this guy who ate locusts and, and was in pretty much rags, and, and a couple of his students there, who knows what they look like, and Jesus walks by, and then suddenly, these two guys, they just sort of peel out, and they begin to follow Jesus, you know, they begin to walk. Now, I don't know if that creeps you out a little bit, it does me. That's the kind of thing you see on the movies where a guy walks by, and he's a good guy, and there's a gang standing there, and all of a sudden, two guys start following him, you know. And, and so Jesus is walking along there, and these two guys are following him, and Jesus realizes that two guys are following him, and he stops, and this guy's being, uh, Jesus is really kind of a tough guy at this point. He turns around and says, what do you want? What do you want? He says, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Why are you following me? And, and I love the response of these two men. These two men, they look at Jesus, and they go, uh, they had the boldness to ask a very personal question. Where are you staying? 
I mean, it's two guys following me. I'm like, I'm not telling you where I live. You'd be breaking in my house tomorrow. You know, but, but Jesus says this. He says, come follow me, and you'll see where I live. And so immediately, these two guys, Andrew being one of the guys, they begin to follow Jesus. And what we see is we, we don't have a lot of the details of what happens in that, that time that they are with Jesus but what we do realize in this story is that there comes a time where Andrew fully understands who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is his Savior. And he knows that his brother doesn't know Jesus. So what we see in the story is we see this man who heads off to find his brother to say, we have found the Messiah. The reason that Andrew could share the story of Jesus is because Andrew had just met Jesus. And so this morning, I want to ask you a question. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? I mean, really, that's why we're here, right? That's why we're in this place. Maybe you came today and you're, you're searching. Maybe you came today and you're not really sure why you're even here. Maybe you came with somebody because you just felt like that's what maybe they wanted for your life or whatever. But that's really why we're here today is is for Jesus, to get to know Jesus, right? And so, so we're here today, and I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? Because you'll never effectively be able to share the gospel. You'll never be able to share Jesus and the, the hope that you found in Him if you haven't found the hope in Him. And so it's critical that we, 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 we sit here today and we, we listen to the Word of God and we allow the Word of God to teach into our hearts. And as we look at this, we see that there's a man who got to know Jesus and the greatest desire that I have in my heart today, my prayer for all of us in this room, is that every one of us will be able to walk out of here knowing Jesus. That's what I'm hoping and praying for. I am not your salvation. I can't do a lot for your hope. But Jesus can do all of those things. And so here we see Andrew, who has figured out who Jesus is. The Jews in Jesus' day, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for an earthly king that would come and redeem Israel from the Roman uh, you know, occupation and, and from the, the Roman uh, just burden that they had on them. The Romans taking over their land. And so they were looking for this earthly king to come. And it wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus that, that really his disciples began to understand really what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Savior. They, they began to realize that, that Jesus was the one whom the Old Testament prophets spoke of. And they began to realize that this Messiah was the appointed one who came to redeem them, no doubt, but to redeem them from their sins. And to set them free in Christ Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Another characteristic of an authentic Christian driven to irresistible works is a true burden for the lost. A true burden for the lost. There's no doubt in my mind that Andrew was burdened for his brother, he was burdened for his brother. He ran home. He tells his brother, we've met the Messiah. The Scriptures tell us he brought him to Jesus. I mean, so here we see that there's this true burden for the lost. There's a true burden for those who don't know Jesus here in this passage. We look at this and, and, and we're, we're sort of 
you know, amazed by the fact that he, he just ran to his brother. There's definitely a concern for, for his brother. You know, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how uh, Andrew, he ran to a family member. He went to someone who was a part of his immediate family. And I wondered about that. Why wouldn't he just run out on the street and start telling strangers? And then I began to think about the fact that the reality that as, as family, we know each other better than anybody, don't we? We know what we're going through as individuals. And we, I know for myself, I have, I have people in my family who don't know Jesus. And, and I have a burden for them to know Jesus because I know what they're going through. And I know that the hope that they need in their life, the, the redemption that they need in their life can only come from Jesus. And so that's why I go to my family and I say, I tell them about Jesus. And I hope and I pray that they're going to find Jesus. And I pray for them that they'll know Jesus because I know what they're going through as immediate family. They're the closest people to me. My heart is burdened by every family member I have that doesn't know Jesus. Why? Because I know what Jesus has done for me. I know what Jesus has done for me. I can't always explain it. Sometimes I wish I could. But I know what Jesus has done for me. And those who you care about more deeply than than anyone else in your life, you find yourself being burdened because they don't know Jesus the way you know Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he, uh, he once wrote to a young preacher named Titus. And in writing to him, he, he, he re reveals to us, I think, Exactly why we should have a burden for other people. A burden for those who don't know Jesus. He's writing to this young preacher and he says, this is how we used to be and this is how we are today. And, and I think just that truth, if you're a true believer, that truth will resonate in your heart and, and, you, and you'll think about people who are on one side and, and how you're on the other. And, and so Paul's writing to this young preacher and he says these words, he says, for we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And then he says in verse 4, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let our understanding of that story, that truth for our life, be what drives us to have a burden for the lost. I don't know about you here this morning, but that speaks of me every single time I read it. There was a time in my life where I was living my life in utter hatred toward God. There was a time in my life where I saw no value in Jesus. There was a time in my life where I was living by my own pleasures, my own lust, my own thinking, my own way. I was my own man. There was a time when I used to live my life as the unredeemed and the unrepented sinner on this planet. But then there came a day, you see, 
when the goodness and the kindness of my Savior appeared to me, I came to understand the truth of who Jesus Christ was. I began to realize that He was for me and not against me. I began to realize that I needed Him more than I needed anything else in my entire life. And I surrendered my life after Christ saved me by His grace through my faith in Christ Jesus. I surrendered my life to Him and I began to live for Him. Not that I became perfect. By no means did I become perfect. But by the power of the Holy Spirit sanctifying me, I am a broken man who is growing closer and closer to Jesus every day. Every day. That's who I am. I don't pretend to be perfect. And I hope you as a believer don't pretend to be perfect. But the reality is Jesus wants to do something in our lives every single day. And Jesus has something much better for us than we've ever imagined. Much better than we've ever imagined. We've got to have a burden for the lost. There needs to be also a true sense of urgency. A true sense of urgency. Same passage, look at this with me. He first found his brother, Simon. Andrew's first mission of the day was to go find his brother. There was a sense of urgency. There was a sense of urgency. There was no wasting time. Andrew went straight to his brother. He went to his brother And he said, guess who I found? Guess who I just met? I just met Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's our Savior. The first order of business for Andrew was to go to his brother and to tell him about Jesus. Why is that? Because there was a sense of urgency. Do you realize today that there will be a day in everyone's life that it's too late to hear the gospel? There will be a day when our friends and our family and all those whom we work with and who we live and play and and just do business with, there'll come a day in their life if they're not a believer when it'll be too late to hear the gospel because they'll pass from this earth and nobody cared enough to tell them about Jesus. We must have a sense of urgency. Like Andrew had a sense of urgency He knew that there would be a day that would come when it would be too late for Simon to hear. And so he runs out and he gets Peter, Simon, and he tells him, you got to come meet Jesus. There was such a sense of urgency. You know, Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples later as he had gathered these, these 12 men, he said, and we see this in John 9, 4, where, where he's speaking to his disciples, he said this, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Night is coming when no one can work. You don't have forever to share the gospel with those who need to hear the gospel. I don't have forever to share the gospel with those who need to hear the gospel. I'm going to ask Joel if he'll come on out. We're going to close out this service here today. The last characteristic I want to point out to you is a true commitment to the calling. A true commitment to the calling. Now this isn't my calling. This isn't Gabe's calling. This isn't Linnell's calling. This is our calling. 
when Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That was a commission, a great commission that he gave to every one of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I love about what we see in this passage is that Andrew was committed to that calling. Man, he was just figuring it out. Here's a man who just really figured out who Jesus was. Here's a man who was a new believer, who all he had was his story. He didn't have all the ins and outs of the gospel. He just had his story of life change. And this guy named Andrew, with this sense of urgency and this burden for his brother, he was committed to this calling to go out and to share the gospel with someone. And what the scriptures tell us in verse 41 is this, is that he goes to Simon and he says to Simon, you must come. We have met the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ. You've got to come meet him. And it says in the scriptures, black and white, clear as day, he brought him to Jesus. I've often wondered what kind of conversations Andrew and Simon had on a daily basis. How many times had they talked about the coming of the Messiah? How many religious conversations had they had? How many conversations on spiritual matters had they had? But here's what's so phenomenal about this. This man named Andrew, who was just a man. He was just a man. He was just a person like every one of us in this room who came to know Jesus, who had nothing but a story of salvation. He comes to his brother. He tells him who he's met. And he's committed to this. He brings him to Jesus. He brings him to Jesus. One of the greatest ways that we can bring people to Jesus is by bringing them to church with us. I'm not talking about a religious experience. I'm just talking about coming into a place where there's people who know Jesus, who can disciple them, who can share the gospel with them, who can sing songs that communicate the gospel to them, who can benefit from prayer that pray a prayer of the gospel. People who can come into this place and their children can meet Jesus. We can bring people to Jesus. And this is one of the things that we know about Easter. Easter is the greatest time of the year and the easiest time of the year to get your friends to come with you. Statistics prove this. And I believe it's because most people internally, they already are convinced that they probably need to be in church anyway. And they all feel like there's two times of the year when they should come, Christmas and Easter. And so Easter being one of the greatest times where, they can, where we can invite people and people are more receptive to come to the church to hear the gospel proclaimed, to hear the truth of a risen Savior who isn't dead in a tomb somewhere, but who is alive today and who offers to us the greatest hope that we could ever experience because he rose from the grave having defeated sin and having defeated death for us. So the question this morning is this. Who are you inviting to come to church with you on Easter Sunday? It's just not an invitation to church. It's an invitation to Jesus. There's two things I'm praying for us. 
two things I would like to invite you to join me in doing. I'm praying for really two things. I'm praying that this week you will pray for the people that will walk into our children, uh, into our church building, our permanent home this next Sunday, Easter Sunday. I know this, I believe this. There's going to be a lot of people who walk into that church. And I said last week, and I continue to say, that prayer has to be the tip of the spear for us. So who are you praying about? Who are you praying for? As we think about a community that desperately needs Jesus, who are we praying that would walk into those doors? Who are we praying that would walk into those doors and come to know Jesus because we brought them to Jesus that Jesus may transform their lives? We can't do that. Jesus can do that. So who are we praying for? And then the second thing I'm praying for us as a church, and this is what I told our first service, is I'm praying that we would be welcoming. I pray that people would walk into that new church and they would see you. And they would see you. And they would see people who care an awful lot about Jesus. And that they are so glad. They see you as people who are very glad that they're there. They see people who care about them. They see people who aren't grumbling and complaining because the parking was horrendous. They don't see people when they walk in the door that are complaining because there's no donuts this weekend. They see people who love Jesus more than anything else in the entire world. And that they are so glad that they're walking. So I'm praying that you're praying for the people that are going to come to the church. And then I also pray that you are going to be welcoming to the masses that walk into the door, that people that we bring into that place would be able to come to know Jesus through us. Will you pray that with me this week? Nobody? Will you pray that with me this week? I'm going to make you give an answer here, you know. Let us pray as a church that people would know Jesus. Let us pray that people wouldn't, as Paul wrote to Titus, chase after their worldly pleasures and their own devices and that they would discover Jesus in their life and, and see how beneficial Jesus is in their life. Let us pray for that. This morning, I'm going to close out this service and I'm going to ask you if you'll just start today right here on this altar. I know you don't have to come to this altar to, to pray. You can pray where you're at, but there's something... Something really neat about coming down here. I know every time I go to the altar, and me and Linnell, we did it in the first service. We'll probably do it in the second service. It's just something that just means something. It's not magical. God will hear our prayer wherever we're at, but it, there's just something amazing about a church that says, I'm going to bow before Jesus, and I'm going to pray for someone other than myself that they would discover Jesus. And I'm driven to do this because of what Christ has done in my heart. Not because He's commanding us, but because I love Jesus so much, I just want to give my life to him and I want to be a part of his great work in this community by bringing others to him could we this morning pray for greater things for greater things in our own life and in the life of those whom we do bring I've only got five minutes over this morning I'm thinking about going 30 more minutes if you're okay no I'm kidding but Let us pray. Let us be a people who care about the people of this community enough to say, 
I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to meet Jesus. You don't have to come to an old warehouse. I can take you to our new home. But I want you to meet Jesus. You're not going to see Jesus in that building. You're going to see Jesus in the hearts of the people. I promise you when you get there, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be welcomed. And you're going to hear the Jesus story that is so relevant for your life. I hope that we can all share that with at least one, maybe a dozen this week. Bring them to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for this faith family. God, I love every single person in this room. God, I love every single person in this room because I know that you've brought them here for a purpose. God, I know that you want to do a mighty work in every one of our lives. God, we want to be faithful. We want to do the work that pleases you. Like you told your disciples over 2,000 years ago, go therefore, make disciples. You told your disciples that the people would know who you are by the love that you have for each other. God, I pray that we as a church would be faithful to allow prayer to be the tip of the spear as we go out into our community. And God, that what the people would see in us is not a fancy building, God, of people who you've brought together that love you and love others. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.